Hello there. This is the Crunchy Christian Podcast, a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network. I am a master herbalist, aromatherapist, author, speaker, blogger, and veteran homeschooling mama of four. You can learn more about how I can equip you to pursue God's best naturally at my website, julienaturally.com. And now, today's show. Hey, everybody, it's Julie on Crunchy Christian Podcast, where we talk about all things green and growing that God gave us. Today, we are continuing our herb garden series with catnip. Now, I have two cats. Um, one has uh, passed on uh, to Kitty Heaven. Um, we had him for about 18 years. And our other cat we still have, and she is 19 years old now. Um, but we had some fun with our um, with our our cat that's gone. He was an orange tabby uh, that we rescued from uh, the alley, actually. And uh, there's an interesting story about that cat. Uh, he was sent to us by God. He came uh, to us after I prayed for some help with my little six, six week old son. This was when I just had um, my two and a half year old daughter and a six week old boy. And I really, really needed some help with my two and a half year old daughter. And I prayed for some help. And you know what God sent me? He sent me that orange tabby, Amos. She named him Amy, but you know, he was a boy. So it was Amos. (laughs) And that cat really was, uh, he was a godsend because um, he was her companion and playmate and helped to keep her occupied and help her have some fun so that I could attend to her little brother who was very needy as an infant. But uh, we had a lot of fun with that cat and... (sighs) I just remember a lot of times when uh, we would give him some catnip. You know, we had heard rumors about catnip, and so we tried it one time. I saw some little catnip toys at the pet store and thought, oh, let's see what happens when I bring this home. And, of course, he went crazy. He's pawing it. He's licking it. He's tossing it around. He's like you know, scratching his feet on it. And of course you couldn't, you could not try to take it away from him, but he would not like that very much. The funny thing about that was that our other cat, who is a gray tabby, and that's, her name is Emma. She's the one that's still with us. Uh, She did not react to catnip at all. So... (laughs) We, that was a surprise to us because we thought, oh, all cats react to catnip. But that's not true. Actually, only about two-thirds of cats have any reaction to catnip. And it is genetic. So um, it, it, some cats just 
don't react. But here's a fun uh, fact about the catnip thing. I, I thought it was exclusive to domestic cats, but I recently learned that it's not. Actually, and I, I would love to see this, it, it, re, it reacts with big cats too. So that would be really funny. I would love to see a jaguar or a cougar having some fun with catnip. I, I would just love to see that, knowing how it is with the domestic cats. So um, if you have some cats and you've not tried this, uh, I it is a lot of fun to watch. Uh, some cats, though go really overboard with the catnip and go crazy. My sister has cats and they went so crazy with the catnip that she pretty much banned it from the house because it became a real problem, (laughs) a real problem. Like the cat, uh, one of the cats just would not, um, would not let go of the catnip toy and would carry it around everywhere and was just, um, it, it changed the cat's behavior. So they had to kind of sneak it away when the cat was sleeping kind of thing. And uh, and they just don't allow it in their house anymore. So Nepeta cataria, that's the Latin name for catnip. It is a native to Europe and Asia. And so we could probably guess that the Europe, the, um, excuse me, the Egyptians knew it. Of course, the Europeans, but the Egyptians knew it also. Uh, because, I mean, let's face it, the Egyptians pretty much worshipped cats. And since it grew in uh, the Asian area there where and northern Africa uh, area where they're at, and those areas that they would have noticed the catnip growing wild and how the cats reacted to it. Um, it was known by Greeks and Romans as well, but... They, they didn't really write all that much about it. There's no uh, there's no mythology around catnip. There's, there's no unusual stories that I could find. And I, I hunted through a lot of historic texts. The only things that I could find were, of course, the medicinal texts from uh, medieval times and uh, Renaissance and, of course, more modern times in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and some modern research, of course, on catnip. So we're going to just talk about those things and how you can grow it in your own garden and a little tip to kind of keep the cats away, perhaps, if you do decide to grow it in your garden. Uh, so um, let's get into that. So um, the old herbals do speak of catnip as promoting sweating, as curing fevers, relieving congestion and phlegm, and helping with coughs and colds. And the English did use it as a tea before the arrival of black tea. So they would steep it, uh, I would imagine, kind of a strong tea. And unlike dandelion or other herbs that you would use as a tea, they, they'd use the top part. You use the leaves and stems and perhaps the flowers, but you don't use the root. The root has a completely different action on people who use it 
the top part of the catnip has those medicinal qualities that I was just talking about, very relaxing and, and nice as a tea. But um, the the root, however, has a completely different action, which makes people quarrelsome, apparently. That's what they report. Rats, deer, and many insects hate it. So if you plant it in your garden, it can help to keep those things at bay. Just kind of like the marigold planted around your important crops, and uh, it can help to keep those things safe uh, from being eaten by pests. Now, here's what some of the uh, the more modern herbals and, and that say about catnip. So we have uh, David Hoffman, who is a popular English medical herbalist, and he's written several books. And what he says about catnip is that it is a perfect remedy for the treatment of diarrhea in children. Uh, it's a valuable diaphoretic, which means that it helps you sweat and uh, for fevers in general and acute bronchitis. So basically reiterating what the old herbals say. It is a popular herbal remedy for children because it is rather gentle. Uh, the 20th century physiomedicalist T.J. Lyle and also uh, Dr. Cook, those two were part of a physical physiomedicalist and the eclectics herbalists of the early 20th century um, that they there was a herbal movement in the United States around that time uh, that we'll talk about on a future episode because it really reveals a lot about why we have the medical system that we have today because it wasn't always like that and why our choices are so limited today. So of course, they too talk about use for children and for stomach issues like colic, restlessness, fevers, irritability, and soothing the immune, the nervous system. And it also starts to talk about how it can increase menstrual flow. And that's important to note uh, when it comes to pregnancy. So uh, if you want to use it, you should be mindful of that. And when you are diffusing it in water, because it's typically made as a tea, so it's, it would be an infusion. Some would refer to it as a diffusion uh, in the older books. But it's an infusion, but uh, you don't boil the tea because it can damage the fragile oils in there that are the medicinal properties. So you just steep it in mm, hot, but not too hot, not boiling water. And make sure you put a lid on the top to hold all those valuable volatile oils in while you're doing that. Uh, another source, King's Dispensatory of 1898, that's another famous herbal book. It also talks about catnip as being good for sweating, but it also adds antispasmodic, and that talks that speaks to the uses for calming the immune system, the nervous system, 
and um, and use for the immune system. But it talks with the antispasmodic, it's talking to calming those stomach issues and helping to helping a person to relax. Uh, it is given as a carminative and it can help with menstrual issues and with headaches. So as we think about that, uh, all of these different ones, even though they're separate books, they all talk about the same kinds of things. And we've seen that pattern before in a lot of the other herbs is that you have different sources all talking about the same sorts of uses. And that's the same with the catnip. So it has uh, been combined with fennel and used as a tea for children for, with gas. That's the colic again. And to help them calm down, uh, especially when it comes to sleep. But even used against uh, the fever of smallpox at one time. So it has a lot of old uses. But as I said, there's not a lot of mythology or anything like that around it. But there seems to be sort of a common thread. Now, it's easy to grow this plant. It's just like the other members of the mint family because it is in the mint family. So it has the square stem like other members of the mint family. And it looks a lot like it with the somewhat heart-shaped toothed leaves and the aromatic smell that the cats can pick up on more than we can. Um, it does have small purplish flowers and it does have sort of a weedy tendency. So you want to be careful because once it gets going, it grows pretty easily and doesn't need a lot of maintenance. And because it keeps the insects away, you don't need to really use anything to protect it in that manner. It You just plant it and then just kind of keep trimming it to manage it from becoming weedy. It does like well-drained soil, but not like super rich soil, just kind of regular stuff in full sun, but it does tolerate some shade. So as long as it's getting about six hours a day of full sun, it can be in a spot where it gets some shade the rest of the day. That's fine. It It's pretty tolerant in that way. If you plant the catnip from seed, it is said that cats won't bother it as much. But once it, the leaves and stems and that are bruised, or if you put it in once it's already partly grown, that's when you attract the cats. So if you want to sort of keep them at bay and, and not have them trampling through your catnip beds, uh, then make sure you put it in as seed. Now, there are some new uses for catnip that have been revealed by modern research that are quite fascinating. So we heard the themes of fever, stomach, things like colic. We heard, you know, the nervine things. We've heard a lot about that uh, from the old-timey herbals over the years. Now, 
modern research has been able to show us some of the active constituents in catnip that cause those nice effects. There is some recent research in the Journal of Ethnopharmacology that showed that we have phenolic acids and their glycosides, flavonoids and their glycosides, iridoids, which include the nepeta lactones that cause that effect in the cats, terpenoids, Terpenoids are what we find in essential oils, and uh, you can get an essential oil from catnip, but it's pretty, it's pretty little, so it's not uh, commonly available like some of the other ones. We also have steroids, lignans, and of course the usual amino acids, carbohydrates, and other things like that. The whole genus Nepeta has anti-inflammatory, anti-Alzheimer, anti-cancer, cytotoxic, antioxidant, antimicrobial, antifungal, insecticidal, and a bunch of other activities in the body that, of course, all those chemical constituents can do. So it's really fascinating when you can kind of learn a little bit more about all of the variety of things that are in the plant. And in some recent studies, they've, they've isolated the essential oil. And I don't necessarily like that, you know, you're isolating out chemical constituents, but they, some researchers did isolate the essential oils from catnip and they were able to show the essential oil of catnip can protect the liver from damage caused by acetaminophen use. So overuse of uh, acetaminophen can cause some issues with the liver, but the essential oil of catnip was able to uh, protect the liver from that. And some other research has suggested that catnip it has antimicrobial activity against, against fungi, and gram-positive bacteria. Um, it also can, has been researched as a possible natural food preservative because it's active against several foodborne pathogens. So we're, they were going back to being effective for stomach gas, colic type things that uh, the old herbals talked about. And lastly, a study published in Iran in 2013 showed that essential oil of catnip was effective in killing oral microbial infections, especially candida. So the thrush, that is gone with catnip. It has some really promising uh, future uses for those things. And I would be careful, though, if you are pregnant and use, uh, if you're going to, um, if you're thinking about catnip, uh, I would not use catnip during pregnancy because of the amenagogic and abortifacent qualities of catnip. So just use something else uh, that for your stomach issues or to help you sleep. 
um, but not catnip. So that's what I have for you about catnip today. I hope that I was able to uncover some new things that maybe you haven't heard about with catnip. And get yourself some catnip and have some fun with your cats because it is tons of fun and they love it and it doesn't hurt them at all. They just have fun with it. So God bless. Meet up with me on Instagram at julie.naturally or on Facebook at Julie Naturally. And I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Show notes for today's broadcast can be found at crunchychristianpodcast.com. Hit the subscribe button now so you can join me next week. Until then, remember all you need is God, people, and growing things. God bless. God bless.